0: Hi, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews since 1996. You can read them all. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out the other podcast that I do that looks more at newer movies, even though there's not a lot of new movies coming out at least in the first half here or the first seven months of 2020 but i will be keeping up with that as soon as we start seeing more theatrical releases again quipster.net is where to go to find the link to that podcast today i'm going to be getting into the third in a three-part series looking at underwater creatures that put humans below them on the food chain i just looked at two films in the piranha series and now i'm going to get into something that's a little bit more close to human in terms of our nemesis in fact it's humanoid humanoids from the deep it came out in 1980 it is an r-rated film it does have nudity sexuality gore violence and language the runtime is an hour and 20 minutes doug mcclure ann turkle and vic morrow are the main stars cindy weintraub anthony pena denise gallic lynn teal and megan king are also in the film barbara peters is the credited director The screenplay is credited to Frederick James, although that is a pseudonym for William Martin, and I'll get into the reasons why his name changed on this film as we get into this review. Now, Humanoids from the Deep, it's set in this small coastal fishing village. The village is called Noyo, and it's in Northern California. It's actually a a place up there in Northern California in Mendocino County where this film is primarily shot. It's around the Fort Bragg area, The residents in Noyo are set to celebrate their annual Salmon Festival, salmon being the main commodity that they are known for. The festival has been on the decline, though, of late, because the fish population has been dwindling, and it leaves the town suffering. Doug McClure is a fisherman and trusted community leader named Jim Hill, and he's doing whatever he can to keep harmony among his neighbors in these trying times. Vic Morrow is much more the aggressive type, He's twisting whatever arms are necessary around Noyo to get a company to establish a cannery there. Anthony Pena, though, is among the Native Americans who happen to be protesting the cannery that they think are going to be exploiting his tribe's land. Now, the corporation, the one that plans to put the cannery there, they've been experimenting with ways that they can escalate the growth of fish in the area. And Anne Turkle, she plays this scientist named Dr. Susan Drake, who has led the experiments which involves tinkering with salmon dna so that they would grow larger and increase their spawning activity they're going to be bigger and more in abundance however this experiment as you can imagine goes awry after these prehistoric fish known as coelacanths they begin to consume these genetically altered salmon and that changes their own makeup their offspring starts to evolve very quickly into these humanoid sea creatures that emerge eventually out of the ocean, attacking landlubbers with an overwhelming desire to not only feed on whatever mammals they can find, but they want to procreate with human women. That's the basic setup of this movie. It pretty much goes on from there to be a horror movie in many respects. Now, humanoids from the deep, is produced by Roger Corman's New World Pictures. I've just talked about him recently for Piranha. So this is another one that came out a couple of years later that plays in the same playground. They collaborated with United Artists, and they contributed to the $1.5 million budget in exchange for foreign distribution rights. Now, this is an obvious homage to the monster movies that you could find in the 1950s, especially Creature from the Black Lagoon, as well as Corman's own early film from the 50s called Monster from the Ocean Floor, except this one is much more graphic in keeping with the early 1980s slasher vibes. Now, some will also compare this film to another one that came out in 1964 called The The Horror of Party Beach. It's kind of obscure to most people today, but in that film, there's this nuclear sludge that creates creatures that come out from the ocean to terrorize people on the shore. That's basically the same premise we have here, although instead of nuclear sludge, we have much more genetic experimentation. Now, just the year before, a film called Alien, that had really kind of originally started as an homage to those old 1950s monster movies, and then it became its own thing. And, of course, Jaws being the film that really propelled a lot of these films, that movie launched a thousand other B-movies that tried to emulate Jaws, and Humanoids takes beats from both Alien, as well as Jaws in many respects here. Now, Barbara Peters, the director, she claims that she was offered Humanoids from the Deep, which carried originally the working title of Beneath the Darkness, because all of the other directors that Roger Corman had asked had turned it down. Corman's first choice for taking it on was the director of Piranha, Joe Dante, because he was successful with that, and this was very much in keeping with that same vibe. But Dante, you know, he thought that this was essentially the same story as Piranha, with different creatures, so he turned it down. But Corman countered this was actually different than piranha because here (laughs) the fish were breeding with the humans instead of eating them although they do kill many of them but that still wasn't a very persuasive distinction to Dante who wanted to move on to other things specifically the howling which he would do the following year now as Corman was not used to anyone turning him down within his camp Dante's refusal effectively ended his tenure, with new-world pictures he was big enough to move on. Corman didn't take it personally. He appeared in several Dante projects over the years since then, including a cameo appearance in The Howling. Now, other directors also passed on it. They claimed that the script wasn't anything that they had wanted to do. In fact, a lot of people considered the script to be pretty bad in its original state. But Peters, she had worked on a few films under Corman's production house, but... She also didn't think that this was the sort of film that she had experience or even a desire to make. She was not a fan of horror flicks, but she needed the job. She had just taken a year off from directing. She had terminal stage melanoma, cancer. She had been put on hiatus by the Directors Guild of America from working on a union film pending medical clearance. But to prove to them that she had the stamina to direct a film, she would accept Humanoids as her next feature. For inspiration as to what to do, she turned to the scariest movie that she had seen as a kid, that aforementioned Creature from the Black Lagoon. She analyzed that movie very closely to figure out how she was going to make her monsters scary for the audience. As she got underway with the production, the shoot she found not particularly pleasant. Peters couldn't swim. That made being out there in the ocean for some of the scenes very harrowing for her. They shot the water action in late November, and that's when the water was very much freezing up there in Northern California. The actors had to swim in that water a lot of the day or stand around, and they were pretty much (laughs) with blue lips a lot of the time, which they had to continue to remedy. Now, while sitting with a crew on a barge to get the ocean shots, Peters and the rest of the crew had a contest of $5 that would go to the first person to throw up each day. That happened to be a very common occurrence. Now, Peters wasn't just squeamish about the water she also happens to be a major lover of dogs and the script calls for several dogs to be viciously killed by these monstrous creatures which she had a hard time trying to film herself she said she could deal with the killing of a a child that happens in this film and also of all of the men and even the sexual violation of the women that happens during this film but when it came to portray the dog deaths she left the set when the dogs were shown lying dead on the dock she let somebody else shoot that even though she knew that these were not real dogs with real deaths. Now the fight scenes that are in this film, some brawls, proved to be a challenge for her as well, not only because there was not a fight choreographer to appear on the set, but because Vic Morrow, the actor whose character instigates most of these brawls, was a notorious klutz, and he had a very difficult time trying to look coordinated enough to pull off his fighting prowess effectively. So they had him have a gang of other people who would do the fighting for him. Doug McClure, he had experience being a stuntman before, he would have the action centered more around him to try to minimize using Morrow for much more than one well-placed kick during a brawl. Both McClure and Morrow had their own issues during the filming of this. They both suffered from alcoholism, and they could get quite cranky if either of them either had too much or not enough, of the alcohol, so they would have to ration them beers every couple of hours throughout the day to keep them from getting too dry or a little too tipsy to make it unpleasant for everybody else. Now, during the shoot, Peters did get approved to return back to the Director's Guild. They expected her at that moment to quit this non-union film to honor her union, but she would not do that, not midstream, and that subsequently caused her to get a $15,000 fine from the DGA for making this movie, which really wiped out pretty much what she was making on it. Corman did tell her that he would cover the fees, but he never did get around to it. Things ended kind of on bad terms, so it was not something she felt comfortable asking for. But as for the reasons why it ended on bad terms, it's because it started with Peters turning in her final film. The film editor, Mark Goldblatt, he was piecing all of this footage together. He was feeling like things were not really popping as they should. Certain coverages were not adequate. The set pieces that Peters had filmed lacked a certain excitement to them. So Goldblatt took the footage that he had edited together to Roger Corman to have a look. And Corman agreed. It just really was kind of lifeless. So he asked Goldblatt to try to cut things a little bit tighter, try to punch it up. But even with this, The film just was a little bit too tame for the kind of movies that New World was used to putting out, and also cutting it up this much reduced the runtime to a less than customary length for them. So Corman, he said that they needed to add more to this. So he initially told Peters that they were going to change a few things to enhance not only the visual effects, but to add additional scenes to make this movie much more of a feature length. But As he began to look more closely at what needed to be added, Corman started to zero in on this notion that it was the rape scenes that were too subtle and that's why it seemed very tame. Peters was pulling away and she was denying the audience the shock value that should be there. So he wanted Peters to add more footage of the women getting victimized. They needed their clothes to get ripped off. They needed to see these creatures actually going at it with these women. But Peters, being a feminist, she refused to direct rape scenes or overt violence against women as part of this pure entertainment flick. So, Coleman told her that if she's not going to do it, he's going to get somebody else to do it. And he, he allayed her outrage in that moment by saying that she was going to be consulted about the footage that they were going to add to it before it was put out for release. So, she consented to at least wait and see. Corman immediately, he promoted second unit director James Spartalotti. He went from the second unit director to the first assistant director, and he filled in these retouches that corman expected from the film now if you look at imdb there's another director that is credited battle beyond the stars director jimmy t murakami that says that he directed additional scenes but there's a lot of back and forth as to which jim actually directed. this was it jim Spartalotti or jim murakami it depends on where you look somebody one of them directed additional scenes that included the salmon queen she gets her top ripped off and then attacked by these creatures There's this assault in a tent involving a ventriloquist and another woman who would provide a little bit more nudity there. And there's these explicit inserts used for the rape of Peggy, played by Lynn Teal, that were also shot and put into this film. Now, Peters didn't actually get to see all of this footage as it was coming out. In fact, nobody who was in the cast and crew not involved with those scenes even saw it until they had a preview screening where Peters and the rest of the cast saw this completed film... And she grew livid at the amount of sex and rape that was injected into her feature. Not only because what they added, she felt, was degrading, but it was also very unnecessary. And she further complained that the new footage doesn't even match a lot of the shots that she had put into her feature. For instance, in the rape scene of Peggy, she originally had a close-up of Peggy just screaming. And then we would see her hands clutching very futilely at the sand. So we don't see, you know, the actual thing. And they made it much more, much more graphic than that. So the graphicness was the main complaint, but it was not the only thing that Peters really disliked. More creatures were added to the first half of this film. They were shown much earlier and much more often than they were intended to be. Because in the original script... These creatures were not going to appear until you see the final 20 minutes. In fact, the nature of what is killing everyone in the town is kept a complete mystery. And so it was going to be a big reveal that these creatures even exist, at least until later in the film. She also did not like the fact that they changed the title. Beneath the Darkness was now called Humanoids from the Deep. And with this new title and with the early appearance of these creatures, there is absolutely no mystery, no suspense that is afforded it's replaced all by shock and sensationalism the scenes that she had in this film a lot of the character touches dramatic acting that was being done by these very good set of actors they were all but completely excised in favor of more horror and more action more mayhem gratuitous tna all of the stuff that is not even part of the main plot. In fact, the plot is reduced to almost nothing but the bare essentials. But what upset Peters most of all as she finished watching the movie was that her name was going to be attached to this film, rendering film critics and audiences to attach all of the degradation that is found in the movie to her as the person who put it all in there. She wanted her name to be removed or changed. She voiced her opposition to receiving credit for this movie that would not only upset her fellow feminists, but it was also potentially going to pigeonhole her into this career of just making exploitation films forever. This was what she was going to be known for. Now, Peters was told by Corman that she could have her name removed, but that was only if she was willing to pay for the cost of producing all new credits. Now, Peters decided to let her name stay on the film, but she was going to publicly denounce the objectionable scenes as not her doing when it was finally released. And Turkle, she also was outraged during that preview in which she screened it. She decided to join Peters by stating that Humanoids from the Deep was not in any way what she and the other actors had signed on for. This was supposed to be a dark mystery thriller that revealed some science fiction elements in its climax. And Turkle, who happened to be married to Richard Harris, They had already known of this happening to other established actors. For instance, Peter O'Toole, who happened to be a friend of Richard Harris, he had the same thing just happen to him just a couple of years before when they signed on to do a film called Caligula that was made by Penthouse's Bob Guccione into a porno film. She felt that she was being similarly used and betrayed because they were luring good actors in with this other script with a different title with the intent of trying to lend credibility to this... Pornography of Sex and Violence. And that's not what she originally signed on for. She really wanted just to have a starring role that did not include her estranged husband, Richard Harris, who, by the way, announced his intention to divorce Turkle partway during the shoot, which was an emotional thing altogether. She also wanted to use this film to dissolve the notion that she succeeded in getting film parts only because of nepotism on the part of Richard Harris. And she also actually really liked the script, as well as the mysterious and alluring title of Beneath the Darkness. She was very much drawn to that title. And her role would be as a scientist, and that would offer her something to portray that was not emphasizing just her looks. And furthermore, she appreciated as well that it had a female director, all things that she enjoyed and the script being attractive enough to bring aboard other known actors that she wanted to work with like Doug McClure and Vic Morrow. But now the script had completely changed without her knowledge along with the title and it was just nothing more than a B-movie and a pretty bad one in her estimation. She absolutely hated this title. Humanoids from the Deep. She stated that if this had been the original title, she never even would have read this script, much less signed on to a project with that as the title. She accused Roger Corman and the producer Martin B. Cohen of putting Beneath the Darkness on the script and continuing to call it that during the shoot, merely to lure and placate the actors that they had signed on board. She was so incensed by this that she refused, when she started to do promotional interviews for the movie, she refused to even say, the name of the film. In fact, she would tell the person interviewing her not to say the name of the movie, too, and that's something that pretty much upset Corman, who really wanted this film to be successful. Turkle felt that having humanoids from the deep on her resume made her look like somebody who was willing to accept any role to be in any movie. She did not even want to be associated with it. She filed a grievance with the Screen Actors Guild, first to stop the film from being released because they, as actors, were being deceived, But if they wouldn't do that, she at least wanted her name removed. But unlike the Writers Guild, which allows screenwriters to change their name from a project when a script changes to their dissatisfaction, no such protection did exist at that time for actors. Now, Martin Cohen shrugged off all of these complaints. He said that Beneath the Darkness was just the working title. It was not set in stone. And when they finally started tinkering with the film... Beneath the Darkness did not capture what the end product was going to be about. So, Cohen had consulted with Roger Corman on switching back to the original title that he had intended for this film, Humanoids, Humanoids for the Deep Here, because he wanted the audience to better know that this was the kind of movie that they were going to be seeing. Because Beneath the Darkness has really no explanation, and people were going to be going into it and completely revulsed by what they saw if they were thinking it was going to be just a mystery thriller. Now, as for the nudity, Cohen did state that there was no such thing in his mind as too much TNA. Well, except for having to clear it with the MPAA because they needed to do some toning down of the material, the excessive gore and the rape, because it was initially slapped with an X rating. So they had to do a little bit of trimming to get it down to an R rating. Cohen does credit the controversy caused by Turkle for going public generating buzz for the picture. So in essence, even though she was trying to hide the name of the movie, it did give it some buzz. It made it a bigger success because now people were going to want to see what this controversial movie was. So he glibly told the press that Turkel was welcome to get on her soapbox for any future movies that he produced now chris wallace was originally the first person that they asked to do the makeup effects for this movie but he was busy on a few other projects so he didn't know if he was going to have the time so he suggested that they go to rob Botine for this film rob botin famously in fact i talked about him a couple of episodes ago he did work on piranha so a natural choice there now Botine initially declined the offer he thought that the title humanoids It seemed like it was a Z-grade flick, but Corman said that the title actually had just changed to Beneath the Darkness, and they had redone everything to be a much more classy production. They were going to bring in a female director, but Boutin signed on. He made a very good hand-sewn costume over this wetsuit to play the monster. He was going to be in the costume himself. He's six foot five, so very imposing, a lot like Ridley Scott's Alien, very much not seen fully until very late in the picture. They did manage to get Chris Wallace to come aboard to do some additional work as this film progressed. He designed the extended arms to attach to this costume. Ken Myers also came in, he sewed all of the pieces together for the suit, and they were asked to craft and enhance additional suits that weren't as intricate, but they could work in the background because they were going to add more and more creatures. Through clever editing, through mirrors, they managed to make the three humanoid suits, seem like there were actually dozens of them, on the shore. The humanoids, they were ugly. They were not particularly scary, I think, by today's standards. They do have those long arms, these exposed brains for heads, and they used hemp fiber resembling seaweed all over the body to try to cover up some of the seams and the joint work, and they had to really be on the ball. The makeup team was never given a script, so they had no idea what they were going to be asked to do from day to day. Everything had to be done in a very short amount of time, be pretty much the same day. A, a fake dead dog that they were asked to be put into this film had to be thrown together with whatever materials that they could for a, a single shot. Now, one day into the shoot, things started to get a little bit sour for Botine. He was a pretty much a young man, 19, 20 years old. He came to the set one day and he was told, get right down to the beach. And he was asked to rip off the top from uh, Lynn Teal, Miss July 1975. She's credited as Lynn Schiller for this film. He was supposed to tear off her top and then push himself on top of her to simulate a rape sequence, which made Botine very, very uncomfortable. And he questioned how, like Corman said, this was going to be a classy film. What is going on with Beneath the Darkness? But he was later told by the replacement director for Peter's that they were in fact changing the title to Humanoids from the Deep, and the movie story was going to be a much different vibe. So he pretty much was stuck there doing what they asked him to do. The suits were very uncomfortable for Boutine and his other actors to perform in. In addition to being asked to do things that they didn't want or like to do, these suits themselves were hard to get on and off. They had hinges to keep the tail in place, so it didn't allow them to sit down for hours. And And it was uncomfortably hot. And when they had the extensions on their arms, they couldn't even use their hands. So they pretty much had to stand around doing nothing until they were asked to do something that they did not even want to perform. As he was not too happy with what happened here. This would be the last film Botine ever did for Roger Corman in his career. Botine would go on to say that he just wanted to forget this film ever existed and he does not understand when he's asked about it in interviews why some people actually like it. Now as for the themes, obviously this is a movie that has some things to say underneath Rural blue-collar families and their reliance on certain industries for their survival. You can look at the corporate mindset, how making a profit comes above the environment. You know, this is metaphorically embodied in the ugliness that occurs to the ocean due to the gross tampering of this company trying to make easy money by tampering with nature. And then these humanoid creatures that come out, they're toxic to the community, a lot like pollution is in real life, killing these creatures the the life that they find there before taking the residents of the community down the community is proverbially raped by this company and then killed by the lack of concern of the environment there's also this message i think underneath about the futility of prejudice and when we should be fighting on the same side to conquer these ills before they conquer all of us we shouldn't let these things divide us for money's sake Humanoids from the Deep, despite its controversy, despite its low budget, despite the director and one of the main actors not wanting to promote this film, it still managed to be successful. It grossed about $3 million in the United States off of that $1.5 million budget. It was released subsequently overseas in parts of Europe, as well as in Japan, where it was especially successful because the Japanese like this kind of movie, which very much echoes a lot of Japanese films to begin with. And it proved to be a pretty big hit for Corman overall. And it eventually took on a cult status on video and in cable showings. Now, Although a lot of viewers are going to find aspects of humanoids from the deep too abhorrent to enjoy. In fact, I would probably caution anybody who's not into these gory B-movies to steer away from it, because it's really the kind of movie that a lot of people will not enjoy if they don't like this exploitative cinema. But if you do happen to like that, there is an audience for this. If you like gore, if you like graphic violence, if you like random acts of mayhem you certainly are going to get that here and you're not put off by a lot of this cheap exploitation there are some recommendable parts to this film that make it a cut above a lot of other movies of this type in fact the performances here they brought in some good actors so their performances are objectively fine Vic Murrow is in particular pretty menacing as the town's bad guy he does it well the cinematography here is actually pretty good too it actually looks very good for something made very cheaply. And they got aboard before he was famous, Academy Award, future Academy Award winner, James Horner. Some of his promising early work you will hear here because he composes the mesmerizing score of this film. At Peter's request, Horner created a very piercing sound for the shriek of the humanoids, as well as delivering this very interesting score for this kind of movie. Now, I'm not going to say that this is a, a good film, It is good for people who like this kind of bad film, I will say. When it's bad, it is very bad, but it does have enough of those good elements, I think, to keep it from being a bottom-of-the-barrel entertainment. There are things here that are recommendable. Now, in a twist of irony, many, many, many years later, Barbara Peters did catch Humanoids from the Deep one day on cable, and she admitted in an interview that she thought it actually turned out to be contrary to her abhorrence at the time of its release to what was being done to it. It holds up as a fun little movie. So she has come to a certain peace with it, even though it was taken out of her hands and changed in a way she definitely did not like at the time. Now, as far as what I give it, I'm going to give it pretty much two stars. I think that's the highest I would give this film, even though I do recognize that there is a specific audience that will very much enjoy this kind of movie. If you're into gore, into violence, into this kind of creature features, you know, you don't have any expectations of a good film. You just want to have some good escapist, nasty entertainment. Certainly, Humanoids from the Deep will fit the bill for you. But I think most general movie-going audiences will be very much turned off by what they see here in Humanoids from the Deep. So that's why, even though there are some recommendable pieces to this film, I'm going to caution the majority away, but I still will give it enough stars to suggest that this is not that bad if you examine it with some objectivity. So two stars is what I'm going to give Humanoids from the Deep, also known as Monster, depending on where you live. Now, as far as what happened after this that you might find interesting and Turkle would become friends, In their defiance of this film, she would collaborate with Barbara Peters. They wanted to start their own production company called M&J Productions or M&J Prods. And Turkle was set to appear for that company in a film that Peters would write and produce and direct called Brother Sister. But... It never did get made. Barbara Peters also would write a screenplay for a movie that was going to be entitled The Indian that sold the Brooklyn Bridge. It was going to star Turkle's husband, Richard Harris. But that also didn't get made. Obviously, Turkle and Harris were divorcing. So Humanoids would mark Peter's last credited film to be released in theaters, although she did direct some TV through the first half of the 1980s. A lot of TV, actually. Now, a sequel script was spearheaded by Martin B. Cohen, the producer, sold off to Menahem Golan and his new production house called 21st Century Production. That was in the early 1990s, and it was going to be directed by a visual effects guru who had never directed a film before called Kevin Pike pike co-wrote the script with stanley isaacs it was going to be called humanoids from the deep 2 the next generation this feature promised humanoids that had learned in the interim the ability to talk so we were going to have talking humanoids here but the project did fall through when Golan's company started to encounter a string of financial failures and they could not put the money necessary behind humanoids from the deep 2. there was a remake that did get made though in 1996 directed and written by jeff yonas And that starred Emma Sams and Robert Carradine. And that was part of the Roger Corman Presents series for Showtime, the same one that remade Piranha for that cable channel. So if you want to see the same thing done, not quite as good, I suppose, you can check that out as well if you're interested in continuing the series from here. But since it's from the mid 1990s, I am not going to be talking about that. In fact, I'm going to get into another trilogy coming up. And the first film I'm going to be talking about. After this one is a movie that is set in the water, and it does have genetic mutations as part of its main plot, just like this one. It is from the opposite side of the 1980s from Humanoids from the Deep. From 1989, I'll be talking about Leviathan for the next episode. So if you haven't seen Leviathan, now these are not generally considered to be very good movies. So if you don't see it, I suppose I could forgive you. But if you wanna keep up with the movies before I get to the reviews, you should check out Leviathan for next week from 1989. Now, if you have your own thoughts on Humanoids from the Deep, you can go to my website, quipster.net, to write to me. You can find links to my Twitter feed, Facebook page, Instagram, to follow me or contact me there, too, if you so desire. Until next time, thank you so much for listening and joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies.